Welcome to The Good Night Show. I'm Shay Morrison, sleep expert and co-founder of The Good Night Co. Join me each week for hints and tips on all things sleep. Hello and welcome back to The Good Night Show. On this episode, we're excited to welcome back Dr. Drew Dawson. Drew joined us in season two, where he helped us unpack insomnia, and he's back to unpack common sleep issues a bit more. In this episode, we take a look into the negative associated effects shift work has on our circadian rhythm and lifestyle factors which influence our overall health. Did you know that at least 16% of the population work shift work? With this in mind, Drew and I talk about the actionable steps you can take today to help you promote a better sleep routine. Welcome, Drew. Thanks so much for joining us again. The first question, which I like to uh, ask everyone, is how did you sleep last night? Uh, pretty good, actually, although it was a bit of a big night out. My One of my kids has just got engaged, so oh. they came over to have an early celebration. How exciting. Uh, so- well, it is. It's the first one. So um, uh, we are in interesting times. Wow. So you had a, had a few a few wines that may have affected some of your sleep? I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> <laughs> so what we really do want to talk about today, though, is um, something that, that you have an enormous amount of specialty in, and maybe you can um, just share with, our, share with the audience around your background and um, what makes you so knowledgeable in this, this space around shift work and sleep. I have been a shift worker myself, and I did about five or six years working 12-hour shifts effectively um, and some 24-hour shifts as part of that as well. But my interest in the area is my wife is a doctor, and I had been doing research on sleep in general, but uh, in the early part of our marriage, she had um, started work as a shift worker, and she used to ring me up to come and pick her up from work because she was too tired to drive. And so being interested in sleep, I started to get interested in shift work. And that was in the early 90s. And we've been doing research in shift workers since then, so nearly 30 years. Wow. So you definitely know this space. And and what would you say, so what what is one of the the biggest areas within inside this space? Like what is one of the, what's something that people, if they are a shift worker, as we said in the intro, you know, 16% of the population do work shift work. What do they need to know? The general approach these days is to think about it as a workplace hazard under workplace health and safety legislation Mm. and to make sure that you understand what are the likely problems that you'll experience as a shift worker and between you and your employer to make sure that you have access to information that helps you minimise the harm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a key point because a lot of people think, oh, if I just get the right roster, all the problems mm-hmm. will go away. And we will often say to people, shift work with a silent F or if you want to think about it in that way, um, shift mm-hmm. work is a bit <laughs> like rat poison that is different rosters are a different brand of it but they'll all do you damage yeah so if you work nights and you're trying to sleep during the day it doesn't really matter how long the shift is or how many days in a row you work or those kind of things if you're a shift worker and you have disrupted sleep there will be consequences but that being said The research will tell us probably more than 50% of the common problems associated with shift work can be eliminated or significantly reduced by good practice. 
and what we would call good shift work hygiene. And what does that look like? Well, a lot of it is bleeding obvious, but not always that obvious to people when they're caught in the process of doing it. Mm. I mean, one of the first and most important things is in order to sleep, even if you're sleeping out of time with your body clock, Mm. you have a cool, dark, quiet space. Now, if you're sleeping at night, it's cooler and it's dark because there's no sun. During the day, you have to actually do some things to change your bedroom in order to make it cooler and darker. So really good blinds to block out the light and having an air conditioner or something that keeps the temperature down, particularly if you live somewhere where it gets really hot and humid, is really, really important. Um, and then quiet. It's, mm. it's always quiet in the house at night. But if you're a shift worker, the kids are around and the neighbours are mowing lawns and all of those things, put some earplugs in, cool, dark room, and it won't be as good as if you were sleeping at night, but it'll be way better than you're currently experiencing. Absolutely. So there are, you know, as you're saying, they're, they're, these are simple things, but I think that one of the, the big challenges with society is that we know um, that we should be doing these things, but we don't do them. So it's more just about creating the habit and, and really sticking to it, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think also understanding that it takes a family to support a, fish, uh, a shift worker. That, that's part of the issue is that a lot of people go, oh, well, I'll just work nights for a week and I'll just tough it out. Mm. That's where the problems arise or the family doesn't take it seriously. Mm. One of the interesting things from the research, the best predictor of how well you cope with shift work is if you, shift work is if you grew up in a shift working family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing about shift working families is you learn lots of ways to manage it. Um, and that kind of learning at the knee is absolutely critical but some people particularly if they start shift work will be in a position where if nobody's ever worked it before they kind of make it up as they go and sometimes they make it up wrong Mm. and that's where you've got to be really careful and you know for most people sleeping is boring there are infinitely more interesting things to do and the competition between sleep and other activities during the day is way harder Mm. at night there's not a lot else to do during the day, you can go and play golf or you can go shopping or you can watch movies or you can socialise with friends and family. You know, in a lot of cases, particularly with women shift workers, there can be quite strong family obligations. We spend a lot of time with women who are shift workers saying, do you really need to iron the underpants? Mm-hmm. Really? You know, so some things just let it slip because sleep's actually really important. And, and you, you, you raised an interesting point um, at the beginning of this conversation around the employer, uh, I guess, obligation here as well. So, uh, you know, what, what should people be asking? So if somebody isn't new to shift working or if they're not even new to it but they, they, have, they don't really have these conversations with their employer, what, what are the questions that they should be asking them and how they should be supporting them in this process? Well, and that's a really good question. Um, There is no doubt about this. Under every jurisdiction in Australia and pretty much all around the developed world, shift work is what they call an identifiable workplace hazard. We know that health and safety implications from being a shift work. And as a consequence of that, employers have a duty of care to educate people as to the hazard 
and provide them the skills and competencies to assess, identify, and to control the risk. So at a minimum, if you're a shift worker, your employer is required to have that on the hazard register. Mm-hmm. And as such, there needs to be a training and education program, risk assessment, there needs to be controls put in place. For a lot of shift workers, however, that's a really interesting challenge because most workplace hazards are at work. Mm. Part of the challenge with shift work is that sometimes the hazard is not sleeping at home as distinct to what goes on at work. And lots of people, when it comes to shift work, have got caught up in a bit of a bind because under workplace health and safety legislation, there is what's called a shared responsibility framework. Mm-hmm. That is, the employer has a duty of care, but the employee also has an equivalent duty of care, and that can be a big issue in a lot of workplaces. I mean, when I first started in this business 20 years ago, people would come to me and we'd talk about it and we'd start to say, well, you need to get a good night's sleep. And people would say, well, it's none of your business what I do on my time off. Mm. And we'd say to them, well, sort of is. If, if on your time off you got high or Mm. drank too much alcohol and came to work impaired Mm. would that be okay they go oh no that's completely unreasonable you say well if as a result of not sleeping you came to work impaired Mm. and put yourself and others at risk what's the difference and then people would start to think about this and go oh actually yeah i have responsibilities that are legal and binding here in the same way as the employer does. We don't see that reaction as much as we used to, and that notion of shared responsibility is much more accepted these days, but there's still plenty of workplaces where people just don't take shift work as a serious hazard mm. and don't understand the risks of both accident and injury and the long-term health and well-being consequences of not sleeping enough. And so we'll start moving into that direction now and talk about circadian rhythm. But just to close off that piece, if if there's somebody listening and, and you know, they're in an environment currently where there is no real support or, um, you know, the workplace health and safety um, aspect of it hasn't really been communicated or identified, it, you know, that this is that person should really be going and seeking um, some advice from their employer and asking for that to be put into place? is that Would that be fair? Well, there's two ways you can do it. Um, a, a lot of people will have a conversation and say, oh, we should do something about this, and nothing ever happens because mm. everybody will be busy doing other things. But under workplace health and safety legislation, you can talk to your union or your union delegate or your representative on the workplace health and safety committee and ask them to raise it, mm-hmm. or you can raise it yourself with your employer. But the important point to understand is it has to be done in writing. Uh-huh. And there's a statutory obligation. Once it's put in writing, the employer has a legal obligation to respond to that and do something about it. Mm. It's not in writing. It's just a he said, she said. Yeah. And so we would encourage people to say, put it in writing. What's really interesting, once you put it in writing, your supervisor will probably give it to their boss or give it to their boss and it ends up on the board. Mm-hmm minutes in about a week flat we call it playing hot potato with it but once Mm. it's in writing the difficulty is lots and lots of workplaces are oral cultures and traditions Mm. that don't actually put stuff in writing Mm. Uh, it's fascinating once it does go in writing how quickly things are actioned Mm. 
Okay, well, there's a great tip. So for anyone listening that that needs some further support around this, then look at getting that into writing and submitting it and following it through. Yeah, and it's also always a good idea to um, go on to the website for your state workplace health and safety um, regulator, and they will have shift work and fatigue as identified hazards. Mm. And you can point the employer or your supervisor to that and say, hey, you're legally required to do this. How about we do something We'll see if we can improve the health and safety for both the employer and the workplace and productivity and for the health and safety of the employees. Because as you pointed out before, being um, sleep deprived in, I, I can't remember the exact statistics around it, but being sleep deprived for, I think, is it more than three, having insomnia or being sleep deprived for more than three days can sometimes be the same impairment of drink driving, you know, being at that 0.05 um, mark of, so the judgment, your impairment is, is so distorted by just having that loss of sleep. Yeah, we did that research back in the mid-90s as, as, and we did that research very specifically because we wanted to give shift workers and employers what we politely refer to as an easily grasped index of the relative risk mm. of shift work. And, um, but it's not just shift workers. If you look at young mums, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, two under five and you shouldn't drive. That yeah. is, is if you've got two young kids under five, we know that the loss of sleep for those women puts them at the same accident risk as if they had a blood alcohol concentration of 0.05 which about doubles their risk of having an accident yeah to say nothing of the mood and emotional effects <laughs> yes well you know these are all things that i'm sure lots of people can identify with and to put it all into then to the understanding piece of it would be great to have a conversation around circadian rhythm so our internal body clock which is where certain things are happening throughout the 24-hour cycle so our organs are going through different stages our hormones etc so maybe if we can just talk a bit about why um, shift work why there is this correlation between lack of sleep and shift work and and how we can you know try and piece those two together a little bit more so that there's a, a greater understanding Oh, yeah, I think it, it's, it's relatively well understood now from a scientific perspective. Um, all animals, even cells um, and microbes and stuff, are niched according to certain times of days. That is, they do some things at some times of day and other things at other times of days. And one of the most obvious and pervasive ways you'll see that is that for example lots of animals are either nocturnal or diurnal and that means they if they're nocturnal they're active at night or if they're diurnal they're active during the day and conversely if you're active during the day you tend to sleep at night and if you're like a mouse you're active at night you tend to sleep during the day and once you're a shift worker you're required to sleep at the time your body doesn't want it to and if you want to understand the impact of that, anybody who's travelled overseas and had, had jet lag will understand exactly the consequences of trying to sleep and be awake at the wrong time according to your body clock. That is, it's hard to sleep when you want to and it's hard to stay awake when you need to. And mm. in a sense, shit work is just industrial jet lag. And don't you feel horrible when you've got jet lag? 
try not drinking on the plane is a really good way to reduce it. But mm. other than that, yes, when you get somewhere and, you know, going to conferences in, in my business and stuff, you get somewhere and there's a particularly boring talk at 3 o'clock in the afternoon when your body clock's saying it's 5 o'clock in the morning and you can really struggle to stay awake. And conversely, you wake up at 1 o'clock in the morning, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and there's nothing to do. And now it's time for a quick break. Are you having trouble putting your anxious thoughts to rest? Calm your worried mind with our Calm Drops. Using a combination of naturally derived ingredients, our Calm Drops have been scientifically formulated to create a sense of calm and relieve feelings of restlessness and anxiety throughout your day. Just eight drops under the tongue when you feel stressed or anxious can help allow your mind and body to relax and for your nerves to calm. We're offering our listeners 20% off their next purchase of our Calm Drops with the discount code PODCAST20. Try them today. Available at thegoodnightco.com.au So if you were in, if you were a shift worker and you had some sort of say or choice in, in the shifts that you could work, is there, you know, with, with all of your years of research, are there certain shifts that are um, better to be, to be asking for or to, or to be striving to try to be doing or, or, or how do people manage that? Well, I mean, if you work a shift system that involves night work, then you're going to be awake at night and you're going to need to try and sleep during the day and that will cause problems. So can you have a roster that eliminates the problem or reduces it? Probably not. If you're going to work nights, there's going to be a problem. The challenge is to minimise the disruption to your sleep in being a shift worker. So as I said before, there's things you can do to control the environment. There's things you can do to manage the family and social activities so that you allocate enough time for sleep. And we did a study many years ago where we took people who were working 12-hour shifts and then we said to them, you have to spend 10 hours in bed before you get up and go to work again. And interestingly, both men and women in that situation when you do that in real life, people will usually finish night shift, go and have a sleep. They'll go to bed, say, 8 or 9 o'clock, sometimes later if they have to take the kids to school mm. or they're driving the kids to school up after having been up all night is an interesting choice. Mm. But if, if, if they do do that, then what you'll find is, is that people will go to sleep, say, 9 or 10 o'clock, and by lunchtime their body clock's waking them up really mm. hard to sleep after that. And then... An interesting thing happens. Um, men will typically roll over, scratch themselves, fart, and go back to sleep for another couple of hours. <laughs> women don't. Mm. And particularly women who are in the child-rearing and busy time of life tend to wake up and then think about all the things that need to be done, i.e. <laughs> ironing the under, to put it bluntly. <laughs> and then they start to worry and then they get up and do stuff. 
So they tend to actually get a lot less sleep than men who are shift workers. So one of the things is, is if you actually have to create time to stay in bed and don't get out, and this is what we did in the study, we said you must stay in bed. There's nothing to do but stay in bed for 10 hours. Then we found that most people could get eight or more hours of sleep. And it didn't solve the problem perfectly. But what we did was we eliminated the competition between other activities and sleep. And most people left to their own devices will go, you know, the blokes will wake up and go, oh, I could get in for, you know, a game of golf before I go to work or there's stuff to do or women would have parenting responsibilities and those kind of things or getting up and picking the kids up before they got home or blah, blah, blah. Part of the challenge of being a shift worker is you have to work with your family and your social group to say, I need to actually allocate eight to 10 hours to be in bed mm. because while you do wake up, if you are tired, after half an hour or so, you will go back to sleep. Yeah. And that's the challenge is that people just short themselves on sleep because there's other more important or more interesting things to do. And then they hope they'll struggle through. Where it gets really bad is, for example, if people work a large number of night shifts in a row, then that sleep loss over sequential days can accumulate before their body clock starts to adjust to being on night shifts. So there's a bit of a U-shaped function where the first couple of nights you don't accumulate too much sleep loss so you can kind of soldier on through. And there are a lot of Mm. rosters where you work two days, two nights, four off, that kind of stuff. Mm. But once you start to work four, five, six, seven, eight, up to 14 nights in a row, it can... There can be particularly between days four, five, and six, as your body clock's adjusting, Mm. there can be quite a lot of days to accumulate sleep loss and people can get pretty tired. Yeah, and then that's going to start impacting on mood and irritability and, um, you know, just general happiness and well-being, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting. If you look at the long-term health effects for shift workers, um, they can be quite profound. So while there's a short-term risk of accident and injury, you know, falling asleep while you're driving or mm. tripping up or doing something like that, there are a lot of research projects at the moment starting to say, now we're starting to understand why the long-term health impacts of being a shift worker are starting to reach. And some of them are probably linked to shortening of sleep and disruption of your body clock. Mm. But others are also related to the coping mechanisms that people use to deal with shift work. And that's a really contentious area at the moment because people traditionally to manage the insomnia and the fatigue that comes with shift work will often use alcohol to get to sleep, coffee Mm -hmm. to stay awake. As a result of that, they further disrupt their sleep. And we see that there are a lot of lifestyle changes that shift workers make that result in what we would call inappropriate coping strategies. So, for example, shift workers eating at night often eat really bad food because mm. what kind of food's available in the middle of the night? You know, a Mars bar and an iced coffee or... Nothing know, fresh. Food. Yeah, there's nothing fresh and people can't be bothered. The other thing is when you get really tired, you're really unmotivated to exercise and to... Mm go and do the shopping and do all that. So you see a whole bunch of psychological and motivational changes. You know, it's hard to play in a sports team Mm. when you're a lift worker. Yeah. So you actually have to work a little harder to make it happen. So, for example, a few years ago we were working up in a place called Calide in central Queensland 
they moved from eight to 12 hour shifts and everybody stopped playing football and cricket, which were the social glue for those communities. Hmm. That was how it happened. And then the community started to fall apart and people moved away and there was a lot of negative social and health consequences of that shift to 12 hours. But we went back to people and said, well, why can't you play cricket? Well, because I can't get to practice every night. And we said, well, okay, how about we decide we're going to have 16 people in the team and three or four of them will be away on any one given practice or game, but we'll still have 11 people and we can still have a team and you'll, you'll miss one practice or one match in a while. And so we spent a bit of time and organised that and then all of a sudden people could play football and cricket. And you just got to think up how do I solve this problem so I can do it so you don't end up saying, well, I just can't exercise anymore. Mm. You know, so, for example, you'll see in a lot of the mining towns now or the camps, 24-hour gyms. Mm. You'll see lots of workplaces where there's actually a gym in the workplace, so if there's some quiet time at night. We did some work for the SA Water people here mm. where instead of sitting in a chair and falling asleep all night and feeling like crap, they actually sat on a exercise bike and got a bit of exercise at night and, yeah, while they're on there this is while they're in their shift as well is that right yeah, they, yeah. yeah. well they were sitting there monitoring yeah. screens so mm. we said well you're on a stand-up desk why don't you just sit on a bike and do some exercise yeah and so there were there are lots of things that you can do to reduce the negative impacts of shift work yeah but to do that you have to recognize the problems and, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to say sometimes at three o'clock in the morning when you're feeling like crap, getting up and exercising and doing star jumps isn't something that comes <laughs> yeah. to mind. Mm. But with a bit of help and a good supervisor and a bit mm. of camaraderie in the group, you can get these things to happen. And so really what we're, we're appealing to here is to employers to, to really address this and, and to look at ways in which they can create these environments to make it um, healthy and worthwhile for for people to, to be stepping into these roles. Yeah, and, you know, for example, giving people some training and education that says um, if you're eating at night, go low on the carbs, yeah. <laughs> protein, yeah. fruit, celery, carrots, all that kind of stuff, just fresh, light food to eat at night, not a great big lasagna or Hamburger something. Like that. Yeah. yeah, well, and that, and, you know, uh, I used to remember in the days where, you know, people used to have canteens and, hmm. you know, what would be the food in the canteen? Well, mm. because everybody felt bad, they'd say, oh, we want chips and hamburgers. Mm. And, and I remember talking to one of the companies there and saying, and they were very proud. They said, oh, we subsidise our cafeterias. And I said, so you're actually paying people <laughs> yeah. to get sick. Oh. Yeah. And they, oh, they said, well, we didn't think about it like that. We had a very simple strategy. We said, why don't we make healthy food almost free? Mm. And if people do want chips and pies and all that, that's fine, but they can pay the full price. Pay for it. We're not going to subsidise bad behaviour. Great idea. And we asked, um, we have a closed Facebook com community for the Goodnight Co. And we asked in, a, in the group, in the lead up to this podcast, what people were wanting to hear about. And there were two particular topics that was around weight. So um, weight gain and shift working and then also napping. So, you know, I think we've sort of covered off that the weight um, question around. Oh, no, you haven't. Right. There's actually very interesting new research in the last four or five years in that area. Mm. It turns out that getting 
Well, as you are sleep deprived, it leads to really fascinating hormonal changes in the body. Mm. And there's two hormones, leptin and ghrelin. Mm -hmm. One makes you hungry, one makes you feel full. If you're sleep deprived, not surprisingly, your body says, oh, I'm feeling really tired. I must need energy. So you swap over and you, you are hungrier and you shift your food preferences to Mars bars and iced coffee. And what we see is quite a big shift in people's carbohydrate metabolism when we sleep deprive them. Mm. If we sleep deprive somebody for a week by three or four hours sleep per night, we can make them 20 years older in terms of their pre-diabetic status. Wow. So, yeah, it's quite profound. And what you'll see is if you look at somebody who's been a shift worker for 20 years compared to somebody who hasn't, they'll be about 5 to 10 kilos heavier, mm. which carries all of the risk factors and those kind of things. Now, if you actually do the math on this, it works out the shift worker through sleep deprivation on average loses about 20 calories a day of energy metabolism. So that sleep loss, while it only has a very small effect on the body, accumulating every day of the year for 20 years, that makes people five to 10 kilos heavier. Mm. The good news is 20 minutes of brisk walk will get rid of that 20 calories <laughs> easily, if not more, mm. and make you a little bit healthier. So you can go without an hour's of sleep in exchange for 15 minutes of brisk walking. So getting people to understand the trade-offs you make there mm. are really important which is to say yeah i understand you're not going to get as much sleep and we know that and we know it's going to have effect on your metabolism but 15 minutes of brisk walking will reverse those effects in terms of um, caloric use mm. okay well i mean that's a, a fabulous tip for people to take away and i also would be interested in your opinion around the napping part of it so i know that we talked about you know how people are uh, getting their sleep when they're coming off shifts is napping, you know, napping seems to be such a controversial topic in the world of sleep. What's your view on it, Drew? More is better. Yeah. So I, I look, I, I don't know why napping is controversial. I mean, it, it is a bit of a thing in workplaces where some people say, I'm not paying you to sleep on the job. And other people say, well, it seems quite reasonable to encourage people to engage in safety-promoting behaviour, which would put it at its two extremes. If you do struggle with sleeping on shift work, getting a nap can be really good. And the more sleep you get with napping, the better, with the proviso that when you wake up from a nap, you don't always feel great. Mm. So a lot of people have got into this thing about, you know, you should nap for so many minutes because you mm. don't feel as bad and all of that. Look, that, that, that has been very much misinterpreted, that literature. Okay. The more sleep you get, the better it is for you. 30 minutes after you wake up, everybody feels better after mm. sleep. But there's that period from wake up for 15 to 30 minutes where there are a number of factors that can change. So if you nap during the night or if you carry a lot of sleep debt, you can wake up and feel really bad. And there's no doubt that you do. And a short nap might not allow you to get so deeply asleep that mm. you don't feel so bad when you wake up. But if you wait 15 minutes after a longer nap, even though you felt crap when you woke up, 
you'll feel way better in 15 minutes from now. And you just mentioned the words sleep debt. What What's yeah. your take on people who are feeling like they've got sleep debt? So say they've had a really busy period and they haven't been getting the sleep they need. Is that something, what's your thought around being able to catch up on that, that sleep debt? Well, a napping is a great way to do it. And mm. the question is, do I have a sleep debt or not? Mm-hmm. And lots of people say, oh, well, I only ever get five hours of sleep. The golden test of whether you have a sleep debt or not is do you need an alarm clock to wake up? Mm. If you Mm -hmm. need an alarm clock to wake up, you're carrying a sleep debt. Okay. So lots of people say, I only need five hours of sleep. But what they probably mean is I only get five hours of sleep. Mm. Yeah. And there's no doubt that people get used to being tired. Most shift workers have spent 20 years being tired. Mm. But they get used to it, and it's a bit like being pissed. You get used to being drunk or being stoned. That doesn't mean you're not affected by it, Mm. and it doesn't mean you're not impaired or not at risk or all of those kind of things. It's just you're used to it. Yeah. And then, Drew, I've got one last question that I would like to ask you that isn't – I mean, it falls into the – you can put it into the shift work category, but – so much conversation these days about sleep and light and I'm not talking necessarily about blue light or you know screens but just light in general you know what do we need from your perspective what do we need to be thinking about when it comes to light and sleep uh, topic I did my PhD on this topic well there's a couple of things bright light has an alerting effect in the short term. If you shine bright light on people, they just feel more wide awake. So there have been a number of studies where you use bright light in the workplace environment at Mm -hmm. night, and there is no doubt that it has an alerting effect. And we have worked out that the short-term alerting effects of that is due to the effect that bright light suppresses the production of melatonin at night. Mm So melatonin is a hormone produced in the pineal gland that tells your body that it's nighttime. Mm -hmm. And once your body starts producing uh, melatonin, which is about an hour after sunset, all of the recovery phase things start to happen in your body. So your body winds down, it starts to get sleepy. It goes into what's called parasympathetic arousal. So it starts to go into its recovery phase. All the immune stuff starts happening to repair and recover from all of the physical damage of the day. If you expose somebody to bright light, then melatonin production is suppressed and your body in the short term thinks it's day. But all the good things that sleep and night do for your body might also be quite disrupted the other thing is that the light will shift your body clock because your Mm. body clock thinks it's now daytime so starts to adjust to it and that carries some interesting consequences to it so in the same way as if you're trying to sleep in a room that's bright the alerting effects of light make it quite difficult the downside of the equation is if you turn the lights off and put yourself in a dark room at night your body doesn't start producing melatonin. Right. So you can suppress melatonin production at night by bright light or when Mm. you travel into another time zone, you know, through international Mm. air travel or something, 
but it doesn't automatically come on when the internal body clock switch to produce it is turned off, which is during right. the day. Yeah. So there, it's, 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 it's a kind of cool mechanism and it works really well for cave people. Yeah. <laughs> it's not really well designed for people travelling around the world and working shift work, unfortunately. But they're relatively recent phenomenon mm. in the biology of the human. So, yeah, we just haven't adapted to that yet. So, so doing the, the things around reducing your exposure to light at night yep. time is, is ideal. Well, th- th- this is where it gets a little bit complicated because right. if, you, if you expose yourself to bright light at night, mm. it will alert you and you won't feel as tired as you would otherwise feel. Mm. But it does shift your body clock, which means when you finish working night shifts, it takes you longer to get your body clock back in place to the normal times of being it and a lot of people go well am i going to recover on my time or the boss's time they say i'd much mm. rather be tired at work than mm. tired on my days off so there's a bit of a swings and roundabouts there mm. so there's that kind of issue on it so the other thing is we don't really yet know what the long-term effects of bright light exposure during the night are on people's physical health and well-being and there have been a number of studies in rodent models and to the extent whether you believe that they are appropriate for humans or not and that's quite a complicated question because mm-hmm. rodents are nocturnal oh yeah um, okay so but to the extent that's been done there has been some work that has shown that light suppression of melatonin leads to an increase in the risk of certain types of cancers if we look in europe and the WHO have declared bright light exposure and shift work itself as a probable carcinogen. Mm, okay. But where it gets complicated is we don't really know, is it the shift work and the light per se, or is it the fact that shift workers exercise less, eat worse food, mm. smoke more, yeah. drink more? It might be the coping behaviours that are mediating the increase in cancer, not the bright light and circadian effects. So the mm. jury's still out on that one. Okay. Well, it's definitely a topic that I'm very interested in. So um, it's one, it's, you know, thanks for shedding that light, light. Um, Uh (laughs) (laughs) um, So on that note, Drew, just to leave people who have been listening with some tips um, around shift work and sleep, what are some other tips that you think that people should be really thinking about when it comes to their choices around shift work and sleep? Well, I think choose to sleep. And then do what you need to do in order to maximise the chance of that. Um, And as we say to people, if you get enough sleep, you'll probably be a nicer person to be with. Mm. And tired and grumpy people don't have any friends and never get a nookie. So what's the point? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, you've got to allocate the time to sleeping. And that's a bit harder when you're a shift worker and you have to be a bit more disciplined and your family needs to help you with that. Mm. But it's hard. You know, it is hard, but it is doable. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Drew. It's been such a pleasure to have you on again. And I know that this is a topic that is uh, one of your complete expertise, areas of expertise. So we're really grateful for you to share some of this um, amazing insight. And uh, we look forward to having you on again. My pleasure, Shay. Thanks, Drew. Cheers.
thank you for listening to The Good Night Show. If you're keen to learn more about our guests or any of the topics we've spoken about today, hop on over to The Good Night Co. closed Facebook community group or check us out at thegoodnightco.com.au. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast provider by searching The Good Night Show. And if you love what you're hearing, don't forget to leave us a glowing review. Thanks, everyone.